Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. To be gay and out in the world of sport, a brave choice or a career-ending decision? We talked to Kurt Miller, head coach of the Connecticut Sun WNBA team and the only out gay male coach in professional basketball. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. The sports world has always had that tough image of playing to stereotypes of what athletes or support staff should be. But just like every other part of society, things are slowly changing, and more and more athletes are feeling comfortable being their real selves and coming out, either as gay, bisexual or trans. And it's not just athletes, but support staff too. Kurt Miller is the head coach of the Connecticut Sun WNBA team, and several years ago took the decision to come out and live his life the way he wanted to. So how's that worked out for him and his career? I caught up with Kurt for a candid discussion about his choices and whether it's been a positive experience or not. Kurt, ever so many thanks for being on the podcast. Great to be with you, Brian. So we're going to be talking about various matters. The first thing we need to like get out is you are the only openly gay coach in professional basketball. Why is that, do you think? It's an interesting question, Brian. He, obviously, in team sports, not as common to hear about openly gay male coaches. And as you mentioned, in the high-level basketball, men's basketball, the NBA or the G League, women's basketball, the WNBA, and then all of Division One, both men's and women's, that makes up about 774 jobs at the highest levels of basketball. And I'm the only out gay male head coach. And, and it's unfortunate, but I take that very seriously. A role model and a trailblazer. I wasn't always comfortable. I've wasted some years being a role model that I so want to leave as my legacy at the back, back nine of my career. You've been out for two decades now in the sporting world, as it were. Are you therefore sort of like somewhat a little bit disappointed that, you know, we see sort of athletes slowly coming out in various sports, but, you know, the coaches, for some reason, there's a reluctance. I mean, clearly you are not the only gay coach in sport in this country or, or obviously, you know, around the world. What do you think the problem is? Yeah, I think it's a unique question to each individual, but the the closeted coaches, especially in the sport of basketball, be it men's basketball or women's basketball, is still, because I'm the only out head coach, there's still the question of advancement. And can they continue to rise up the ladder to be a head coach? And you know, can they have success because there just isn't that visibility and representation. And that's why it's so important for me 
to now be visible, to be representing that next wave, that next generation of coaches. No advancement is one issue. Other, you know, there's other caveats for everybody that it's very, you know, personal to them. But that's one of the common things that I consistently hear is advancement questions. As you said, you've become a head coach. You are a trailblazer. You weren't always a head coach, I'm sure, before you made this decision. So what made you decide that you wanted to let people know more about you and about who you really were? I thought it was certainly important for my family. And I had a longtime partner during my assistant years. And as I transitioned into my first head coaching role, And we began raising his biological nephews. And so I have twin boys that I've raised for over 20 years as my own. Started raising them when the twins were five years old. And I felt it was really, really important to live authentically and be true and to be a role model to the players and community that I was in, that I was proud. And this was who is important to me. This was my family. And I was very proud of them and I wanted them to be a part of each and every step. So as I was preparing to become and interviewing to become a first-time head coach at the collegiate level, I was very open with administrations. I was very open with the teams that I was interviewing with. This was me. This was my package. This was my family. These were my boys. So, you know, I, again, I can point to my family as a big part of that. And then wanting to be a role model for the players. I, I wanted to live authentically. I wanted them to see that you could be who you are. You didn't need to hide any piece of your identity. You've clearly, I'm sure, had conversations, private conversations, no doubt, with closeted coaches. What sorts of things have they said to you that you're happy to discuss about, you know, the the thoughts that they've had and and the concerns other than the ones that clearly you've just mentioned? Because I'm guessing they need to speak to somebody and clearly you are an open, you're out there. I'm sure they would want to speak to you and probably have. Absolutely. And the wide ranging topics of those conversations, but at the collegiate level, when I talk to gay male coaches that are not necessarily out, you know, they have questions about recruiting and, you know, how did the head coaches that I worked for when I was out handle myself being gay? Were they ever worried about me recruiting? Was it ever a negative part uh, when we were out recruiting? Because they don't want to let their boss down. They don't want to let their school down. So they have questions, uh, you know, in the recruitment process. They have uh, questions about dating and could they outwardly date? Did you outwardly date were a lot of the questions while you were working at the collegiate level. You know, so you get those kind of questions and you get to talk to people. And then, you know, they always ask about my experience after coming out or how it was coming out. How is that conversation with your head coach? How is that conversation with the team? How is that conversation even to your family members? People are still curious about that whole coming out process. Still back to the basics without it being work specific, just being comfortable telling family and friends, telling work colleagues. And how was that experience for me? As we said, you came out, uh, you know, professionally 2001. But my understanding is that it wasn't until you were really hired by Connecticut Sun back in 2015 that you started to gain more recognition as the only openly gay male coach in professional basketball. Why do you think it happened at that point? 
Yeah, an interesting dynamic with this is that my entire head coaching career at the collegiate level, starting in 2001, I was very much out in the women's basketball circles nationwide. Everybody knew that I had a partner and was raising twin boys. My university administration, the coaching staff, my recruits, the team, the women's basketball circle always knew. I always introduced my partner and, and children at public functions. They traveled with me a great deal. And so it was no secret. It was ironic that I got very few media questions and very few media reached out for a podcast and or an in-depth interview article. So outside of the women's basketball world, very few people knew that I was an openly gay male head coach at the collegiate level. When I transitioned to the professional ranks and was hired late in 2015 for the 2016 season in the Connecticut Sun, in conjunction with my hiring, Out Sports was going to run a national article on me. And before you know it, the New York Times and some other major publications then followed up with additional articles. That's when it became more mainstream news outside of just the women's basketball circles that I was an out gay male head coach now, probably the only out male gay head coach at the professional ranks in North America. And it became more of a story nationwide and outside of those circles. Did you at any point think that maybe it was also to do with where you were finding yourself in 2015? I mean, Connecticut is known as a fairly liberal state in many ways. Do you think sometimes it's down to where you're actually based as well, still in the US, as to you know how much people are prepared to pay attention to certain things? I hadn't thought a lot about it at the time, but certainly as I've just finished my sixth year in Connecticut, it is now understandable more that I'm around the state of Connecticut and feel, you know, so comfortable living in the state while I'm in season is certainly probably played an additional part of it since I coached so much of my career in Midwestern rural towns at the collegiate level, you know, different now being back, even though kind of in a rural part of Connecticut, certainly in the Northeast now, uh, just you know, just a total different vibe than all my years in the Midwest. We're seeing more and more athletes coming out, both male and female and transgender, of course, as well. What does that say to you about them as athletes? And do you think that that ultimately, as we see more of that happen, will help the cause perhaps for things like coaches as well as they see their athletes take that stance? It's been a tremendous year. 2021 has been a tremendous year. More and more, especially male professional athletes are coming out in uh, in multiple sports. And I think it's just going to be a real effect for the next, you know, the younger generation. What the legacy that I want to leave is, is that I didn't have that role model to look up to. There was no representation visibility when I was navigating early in my coaching career. So the ripple effect of these professional athletes, these tremendous uh, young, talented athletes coming out uh, is going to be just a huge, huge breakthrough for the next generation. Those young middle school, high school 
young men that are struggling in the locker room in team sports, wondering if they can thrive as an athlete, as a coach, as a front office. I've seen more and more people put a face and a name, other professional athletes that are coming out is just going to be a tremendous resource for this next generation. And I think you're going to see it become more and more commonplace because people don't feel they're alone anymore. There, there are trailblazers out there that to and look to. And it's been happening in, in individual sports. You see it more at separate level, but now most recently more team sports are really going to have a ripple effect on that next generation. And talking of team sports, of course, we'll just quickly get back to the Connecticut Sun. I mean, you have several members of the Connecticut Sun who have come out as gay. They are openly gay. Do you think it's somehow easier for female gay athletes to come out? And and if so, why do you think that is? Certainly, I, I do. I don't mean to say it's easy. The process of coming out is very personal everybody's journey is different. Everybody's angst and worries and everybody's you know journey is very, very personal to them. With that said, the visibility and representation of more women athletes being out and living authentically and being true to who they are, they are surrounded by more. And the WNBA is a great example. It, it has great diversity within the league. And that diversity empowers players to, you know, be authentic and live their life. And I think it's very powerful them to see other athletes around the the league and some of these other professional women's leagues that they can also be true to themselves. So while I think it's easier because there's more visibility, I don't downplay that each and everybody's journey is their own with their own struggles and own insecurities. 2021, of course, saw the delayed Tokyo Summer Olympics. And according to OutSports, at least 185 LGBTQ athletes compared to only 55 at the 2016 Rio Games were visible in this particular Olympics. How proud does that make you? Yeah, exciting and proud and, and, you know, just a huge fan of these elite athletes that have trained their entire careers to compete in an Olympic Games and then and for them to be able to do it free and being able to celebrate with people that are so special to them in their lives and such a big part of their lives themselves. I just uh, makes me very proud for them. And uh, Again, just marvel at Olympic athletes that uh, they are at the pinnacle of their sports and uh, just, just, you know, remarkable that they can get there. I just have such respect for athletes that can work to the elite of their profession and their sport. Do you think it's important that athletes are able to make these decisions and come out? Certainly at this sort of level, like I said, the Olympics, when we have them every couple of years, you know, the winter and the summer Olympics, we've got another Olympics coming up early next year in Beijing and China, the Winter Olympics of 2022. Do you think it is important that, you know, the athletes take this opportunity on these world platforms to make these statements and make these decisions? Because it gives obviously a bigger audience and therefore hopefully has a bigger impact on, you know, the many, many people out there who may be sitting on the fence. For sure. Uh, You know, Tom Daly, you know, an Olympic diver, for example, you know, the followers that he has, the the impact that he has on young people and, and people that 
you know, are really, really depressed or really wondering if they can be who they want to be, you know, see someone like him thriving and, and continuing to be an elite athlete and, and being himself still knitting, you know, up in the stands when he was not competing. So uh, these guys are just um, incredible and, and, and help the next generation so much. I want to turn to mental health issues because it is a big talking point, whether you are straight or gay in athletics and also obviously in society in general. Simone Biles, probably one of the world's greatest gymnasts, has been very front and center in the media and certainly during the Tokyo Olympics when she took a very personal decision based on what she said was mental health issues uh, causing her problems backing down from certain events. How big a problem is mental health issues, do you think, for athletes and in particular, probably even more so for LGBTQ athletes? It's a major issue across sports and in women's basketball, where I can speak most directly, it is a major focus for all 12 of us uh, franchises in the WNBA. We dedicated a lot of resources, uh, a lot of time this year to the mental health of our players and the mindfulness of our uh, of our players. It is such a big piece to tackle right now with the players and especially in this covid time in the 2020 season we played in a bubble in a same location the entire the entire season this season while still uh, maneuvering through a covid time just you know magnified the mental health challenges that a professional season can bring to these athletes let alone all of that that they're juggling in their personal lives and away from their sport. It is amazing that we are just getting to this place that we're putting a priority on taking care of mental health and providing the resources necessary for these athletes because they're under so much pressure. They have so many different stresses in their life. And so I'm really proud to be a part of the Connecticut franchise that has put it at the forefront. We're trying to become a model franchise in in the WNBA with our resources and what we are providing mental health wise for our players. And we had a great year. And I think the players really appreciated it. Why do you think it's taken so long for us to get a, a handle on this? Because when we Look at athletics in particular, whether it's collegiate level or professional level. These athletes, the coaches, you know, the teams, everybody involved are under incredible pressure, not only to perform, but to win, to be the best. Um, You know, what's changed here? Yeah, I think finally the perception that admitting that you needed help was a weakness. In sport, it's always about the strongest, the toughest survive. And so if you were admitting that you needed help or had some mental health issues or concerns, there was um, an embarrassment or a, a, a side of it that showed you had a weakness. And in sport, you know, God forbid, you can't show any weakness. It's the tough survive. It's the strongest that survive. And so I feel like we've got past that image and that uh, while at times difficult, it is embraced by the coaches and the team that mental health is such a priority and it's no longer a weakness to ask for help. We all could use resources to help with our mental health, both in our sport and away from our sport. And finally, we're starting to you know, break some of those 
some of those preconceptions that it, it's a weakness. And, uh, and I'm proud uh, to be a part of an organization, again, that it takes it so seriously and has created an environment that is no longer a weakness to ask for help. We touched upon this earlier in the interview. You've mentioned it yourself. You have two sons who have now grown up. Tell us a little bit about them, if that's not too personal a question. I mean, they must be incredibly proud of you and your partner. And I'm guessing they're they're huge advocates of living authentic lives, even if they're not gay themselves, uh, you know, but, you know, making sure that people understand that you just have to be who you are. Yeah, they're the biggest allies for myself. Still live with my son in the off season here in Indiana. My twin boys are now 26 and uh, just so proud of them. And uh, they're my biggest fans. And so they continue to cheer on the teams and the organization that I'm a part of and coach at. And, you know, still such a big part that you know, we have a, a great, I have a great partnership with my one son, Brian, because of the season is so difficult, Brian, you would, you would laugh that I provide him a bachelor pad in the state of Indiana. When I'm back in Connecticut during the season, the trade-off is he's got to take care of our three dogs. So he gets a bachelor pad for six months and he takes care of our three dogs, but then he's got to put up with dad the other six months of the year, or at least when I'm in town and not scouting and doing responsibilities in the off season. But uh, you see it more and more, especially during these COVID times that uh, older, you know, or younger adult children are moving back into the homes. And uh, I just love still being able to spend time with my one son who's 26 and uh, just, you know, super proud of both of them. Kurt, it's been great talking to you. What final message do you have that you want to get across either to athletes or coaches, people in the sporting world, or maybe just generally to the people that are listening out there about being their authentic selves? Yeah, certainly. uh, You know, I know myself that I wasted a lot of years and, uh, and really feel that part of that was my insecurities because I didn't have role models. I didn't have trailblazers. I didn't have that visibility and representation of other gay men in sports, be it as an athlete, a coach or front office worker. And, and I just, uh, you know, that's what I want to give back. And I encourage everybody uh, if they're struggling, you know, to reach out to people that they can speak to. And I'm certainly one of those people. So more than happy to speak to anyone that is struggling and, and needs an ear and just, you know, really proud of all these young people that are living authentically and, and living their true self and, and encourage it. It's your own, it's your own journey, but, uh, really encourage what it can do for the next generation. If you come out and, and, uh, live authentically. Kurt Miller, we're lucky to have you as a role model. Please continue doing what you're doing for everybody out there. Continued success, of course, as well with Connecticut's son. And thank you for sharing your time with us today. Thank you, Brian. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Tree damage caused by high winds, hurricanes, or stormy weather? 
Green Valley Tree has you covered. We offer emergency storm service for residential, commercial, and even municipalities. From full removals, uprooted or broken trees, to broken and fractured limbs, no job too big or small. If you need immediate emergency service outside our regular business hours, call our emergency hotline at 860-966-5710 and visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for details of our other services. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently. Connecticut's Public Utilities Regulatory Authority, or Pura, has slapped a heavy fine on Texas-based electricity supplier Clearview for violating electric supply and marketing laws in the state. Marissa Gillette is the chair of Pura and explained the settlement that has been reached. Clearview has agreed to pay $500,000. That money is going to go to paying down customer rearages of customers of Eversource and UI. Also, as a result of this settlement, Clearview is going to withdraw from the electric supplier market in Connecticut for six years. Pura says around a quarter of residential customers in Connecticut shop around for better electricity deals each year since Connecticut deregulated its electricity market back in 1998. The settlement with Clearview came just two months after Pura issued a notice of violation and assessment of civil penalty against the company after receiving multiple complaints from Connecticut residents. Prospective police candidates have been getting the inside track when it comes to the hiring process thanks to a unique horse being run by the Waterford Police Department. Sergeant Dave Furland is responsible for helping to run the Police Application to Hiring or PATH course and explained why they started it. As we started to see a decline in the amount of candidates that applied for law enforcement, as well as we thought they were kind of missing some of the key parts, the oral panel, physical agility, and kind of what's really expected of them. So it was started as a way for us to reach out to kind of recruit people, but also get them more familiar with what's expected of them through the hiring process, and not just for our agency, but any agency in the state. The four-hour free course walks candidates through the entire hiring process, giving tips and even conducting a practice interview and critiquing candidates' resumes. The course is believed to be the only one of its kind in the state. 500 Thanksgiving meals were given to local residents in the town of Willimantic by Eastern Connecticut State University as part of their day of giving recently. Joe Salvaggio is Director of Dining Services at Eastern and says this year's effort was more challenging than usual. This year, one added challenge that we've had is supply chain, right? So it's all over the news. And so it definitely took a a lot more planning on our end in procuring the product and the donations and then getting it into our kitchens and into storage. Due to the COVID pandemic, the university had to change the way they undertake the event by replacing people visiting the university campus and having their meals there and partnering instead with a local nonprofit called the Covenant Soup Kitchen to help distribute the meals to those in need. The owners of Foxwoods Resort and Casino have opened their first casino in the Caribbean. Called Foxwoods El San Juan Casino, the new venture is located at the historic Fairmont Hotel based in Puerto Rico's capital, San Juan. The island's governor, along with tribal members from Foxwoods, local dignitaries and members of the community, cut a ceremonial ribbon at the soft launch of the casino and welcomed their first guests recently. Rodney Butler, chairman of the Mashantucket Pequot Tribal Nation, owners of Foxwoods, said the event was a landmark milestone for the tribe as they expand the Foxwoods Resort Casino brand. Foxwoods' investment in the new casino is around $12.5 million and will create 150 local jobs and is estimated to bring around $22 million of economic benefits to Puerto Rico's economy. The official grand opening of the new casino and resort will be held in January 2022. 
In the Connecticut Examiner this week, back on the job after being cleared of misconduct allegations by one of his own men. New London Police Chief Brian Wright says his only focus is moving the department and himself past the turbulence that has marked his roller coaster initial weeks as the city's first black police chief. Saying he was ecstatic to be back on duty after the six-week absence, the October 6th complaint against Wright that led to his suspension that same day was filed by a supervisor who was subsequently demoted from lieutenant to sergeant for his pattern of conduct towards a female detective who had accused him of gender bias and sexual harassment. No specifics of the complaint against Wright have been made public and Wright declined to discuss it in detail. In the Norwich Bulletin this week, following approval from Norwich City Council members and months of community input, the installation of a massive public art project on a blank concrete wall near the Norwich waterfront is underway. Once completed, the 142-foot-long, 14-foot-high mural will depict individuals who played key roles in civil and human rights struggles beginning around the time of the American Revolutionary War. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening.